Welcome to Masterminds and Maintenance, a podcast for those with new ideas in maintenance. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each week, I'll be meeting with a guest who's had an idea for how to shake things up in the maintenance and reliability industry. Sometimes the idea failed, sometimes it made their business more successful, and other times their idea revolutionized an entire industry. Today, I'm super excited. We've got Brian Sappet here on the show. Brian is the CEO of SensorTracks, a manufacturing analytics platform designed to collect and display actionable data from the manufacturing shop floor. Welcome to the show, Brian. I'm really excited to have you as a guest. You, know, you and I have been chatting for quite some time. We finally got you here on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Brian, could you share a little bit about how you got started in this field of maintenance and reliability and your background? So I started my career as a software developer, a network engineer, but I always wanted to own and start my own companies. Uh, so I created a, a custom software company in the late 90s. And my very first project was building a custom ERP system for a chocolate company. So that eventually grew into, you know, from order taking to everything happening out in the factory, you know, like pick, pack and ship, integrating with machines, you know, my journey through manufacturing just kind of continued for the last 24-ish years from there. I love it. And obviously I know, I kind of know what you're up to now, which is sensor tracks which is this awesome, amazing data-driven platform for the industrial IoT. What are some of the most common metrics, most common things that you're seeing in terms of the newest adoption of IoT in the manufacturing shop floor? What we see mostly, because we're a, a productivity application, is people wanting to really understand throughput, capacity, and downtime and, and quality issues on the factory floor. And downtime is really where, and, and a little bit of the throughput, but really where, you know, the pro productivity side and the maintenance side come together and they, and they have to play nicely, right? So once you understand, you know, what your downtime reasons are and why you're having waste and why you have losses, a lot of times maintenance has to get involved to figure out what's happening, right? And in a lot of our customers, they're using data to really understand, understand that. So if you have a quality issue that starts popping up, maintenance can dive into the machine data, for example, and figure out, oh, you know, somebody changed the settings, the pressures aren't right over here, we have a leak in a hose, you know, whatever the root cause of, of that is. You know, as you look at the next five years, the next 10 years of, you know, maintenance, reliability and manufacturing, like what are some trends that you're most excited about? I hate talking about this because I think there's a lot of false promises with it, but it, it really is artificial intelligence and AI or building, building models around maintenance and reliability of your assets. The biggest trend I think that we're going to see is, or, or the shift is, there's a lot of big companies today who are trying to build these models on their own, you know, like makers of things. They're not the ones that make the pumps and the motors and the machines, but maybe they're like Ford, right? And they have you know, really big reliability issues on some of their equipment. So they're trying to build predictive models on failure. And I think one of the biggest shifts that we're going to see is the, the actual makers of the motors or the things that you're, you're in the machines that you're trying to predict failure on are going to start building those models and connecting to those machines because they're the experts in those, right? Like somebody like Ford is definitely going to have internal people that are experts in, in whatever kind of machine or robot that you have. But a mid-sized manufacturer is not, and they could really benefit from that, that technology and all that aggregated data across all of those different robots, machines, motors out there in the field across the world. I totally agree with it because, you know, 
I, I think what, what's happening is that, you know, pump A from company and brand A, you know, even it's the same like rotations per minute, same horsepower as, you know, pump B from a different manufacturer, from a different company, operate in slightly different ways. And we can't necessarily say everything that happens to, you know, this pump is going to be directly relatable to pump B. But if you are actually the manufacturer, you know, I'm sure you could set a standard for what's in range, what's out of range. And you're, you know, the manufacturer is actually going to be in a better position to tell, you know, you know, us as the operators, uh, is this in line or out of line? But when you get into like a complex piece of manufacturing equipment, like a CNC, for example, where you can, you can do anything. Right. And so there's so many different failure modes on that thing, depending on what you're doing. So like the way it'll fail if you're cutting plastic or wood is different than titanium and the, diff the tools make a difference, too. So then having the ability to combine, combine all that data together and contextualize it and then know what the failure modes and what you're predicting based on what the thing is doing and what it's supposed to be doing, I think is really important, too, because a lot of what we focus on today is just, do we have an anomaly, for example, right? Is the, is the vibration pattern anomalous? Is the temperature too high? Is the flow rate wrong? Current draw wrong? Things like that. You know, let's say the future kind of moves more towards the predictive analytics goes more back onto the manufacturer. What do you think happens to the internal maintenance reliability team that was previously running all the analytics in-house? I think that the manufacturers can build better models but the guys, the, the people, the men and women on the ground working with the equipment every day is going to know it better in that environment than the manufacturer is. So the manufacturer can predict a lot and understand a lot, but they can't understand everything. That team still has to do the work, right? Somebody actually has to do the PMs, uh, do reactive maintenance when things break. So I'm not sure that it changes that much because I think those systems are still going to be making suggestions that have to be interpreted by people. You know, a lot of people talk about like AI machine learning kind of taking over all of our jobs, all of our roles. But when you think about it, what it really does is it surfaces, it surfaces and highlights problems that ultimately we need to take action off of. And that's, that's going to be the, the internal team that's actually on the shop floor. We're, where we're headed and I think where you're headed with AI machine learning and really making smart systems is to have the systems do all the grunt work that the engineers have to do today, right? Collect all the data, put it into spreadsheets, type it into systems, look for patterns, you know, and, and automate that. Be the eyes on the data for, for the engineers. Especially when you talk about, you know, the combination of the kind of data that we collect in systems like yours, you can move towards prescriptive because once we start to understand the patterns and failure modes in the, the systems we're monitoring, you mash that up with the historical maintenance records. You could say, hey, last time this happened, this is what we did. And this is likely the cause and this is the likely fix for it. That's huge, right? Because you're not reinventing the wheel and, and trying to um, really understand what happened maybe two years ago when that thing failed last time. Kind of on the same year here, uh, Brian, but like you and I were chatting probably, uh, was it two, three weeks ago about the common myths that hold maintenance teams back from fully adopting, embracing this, um, you know, what we believe is going to be the future of technology in the industrial space. So uh, I'm kind of curious, like Brian, any, any highlights from that? What are some common myths that you think are really holding people back from fully adopting 
you know, uh, industrial IoT. And I think the biggest one is that, and, I, and people will disagree with me. I think this is the LinkedIn conversation that you're talking about. So people <laughs> disagreed, but they think it's expensive and it's complicated. And it just doesn't, it isn't, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, I know it's all relative, right? But, you know, this is, this is a tens of thousands of dollars thing, not a millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars thing that, so that you can get started using data in, on your machines and, and monitoring them. I think that's one of the, probably the number one, in my opinion. You're right. Cost is an important problem. And I, I think what people called out was it wasn't just the cost of sensors. It wasn't just the cost of even purchasing the, the hardware and getting it set up. It was actually like the cost to implement, train, and also have an ongoing you know, person or people to be able to analyze this data versus getting it first set up. So I, I guess I'm curious, any thoughts around, around that, Brian? I think that as en engineers, um, we tend to overcomplicate things sometimes, right? And want like the perfect solution, right? That does everything that we want. When in reality, maybe a good starting point is like a check engine light solution. Like I don't need to know like the down to the itty bitty detail of every little vibration every millisecond, right? I just need to know that something's gone haywire to move me down the path. Starting there and being able to prove value with something small, which is something we talk about a lot, start small, think big, move fast. If you start with something small, the, all of the costs that you just described are a lot less than if you're trying to do a much larger system, collect a whole lot of data, sensor up something with a lot of very sophisticated sensors, that's one of the myths is that you don't have to go to the perfect solution and that you can start with something small and still get a lot of value out of it. And that's where my, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money comment comes from. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head where like a lot of people when they talk about IoT solutions, it's like, all right, we're gonna set up digital twins. Yeah. Like all these, you know, different scenarios of what happens, but then it's like, hold up, where, where are we right now? And then you kind of look at the existing setup and you're like, all right, well, let's, let's get there. But there's so much value in just taking the first step. You know, mm -hmm. I know we're going to get to that predictive modeling, setting up digital twins, running, you know, 30 different uh, scenarios, but let's, let's just get that check engine light because I think we can get, you know, half of the total value of this for, you know, 1% of the total cost. Yeah. When we do finally make that purchase and we say, all right, we're going to make the investment into more predictive analytics and getting ahead of our, you know, failure modes and um, breakdowns, finally make this investment. What are some common things to actually avoid? You know, where's some common uh, pitfalls that people make, you know, after they've, they've made the jump? Yeah, um, one of the biggest ones is not including everybody. Not everybody, but it, you know, if you're coming at this from a maintenance perspective, typically you're gonna keep it within the maintenance department. And again, I'm focusing on manufacturing. So you're gonna keep it within the maintenance department and maybe not involve production or, or manufacturing, or maybe not involve quality. But the three groups, those three groups have to play very nicely together to um, kind of achieve the goal of the, of the company, right? So you want to make sure that you're including other folks. So the same thing happens, you know, our primary, um, the people who primarily buy sensor tracks are the production teams, like VP of ops, plant manager. 
and they don't always include maintenance in the discussions. And then, you know, we show up with sensors or start talking about connecting to machines and they're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like, what are we doing? So um, you have to include both sides, right? Because the, the, otherwise you're, you're going to be destined to failure and you need to think about that in the beginning. How do you align and any suggestions, how do you align, you know, production and maintenance reliability? This battle, this exact battle is one of the core reasons why we founded sensor tracks because production, when they don't hit their numbers says often says it's because maintenance can't maintain the machine. And then maintenance says you guys set it up wrong and you just kind of go back and forth pointing your fingers. Right. And so our idea of what the common ground is, is data. Right. If I can get good, reliable, even if it's simple data to tell me where the problems are coming from. Right. And what's causing it, then it's it's no longer subjective. This is the data. OK. I don't really care whose fault it is. Let's just figure out a way to fix it. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I think I, I think I'm being optimistic when I think that data solves everything, but at least it gives a common ground, a common language, a common set of measurements for both groups to work off of and talk about. You know, it's very objective. It's not about finger pointing. It's you know, how do we take this number and make it better? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's something that you wish more people knew about within the maintenance reliability space? There really are high quality, low cost solutions to start monitoring these things. And you can get started collecting data for a relatively uh, small amount of money that will make a pretty big impact on your business. Um, it doesn't even have to be, you know, sensor tracks solutions. Like there's a lot of really good stuff out there where, you know, I can, I can put a really high quality temperature and vibration sensor on a motor in a plant and get that check engine light level of data and confidence and even anomaly detection, detection for a very, very low cost. I wish more people knew that because I think more people would get into it. And I think it would kind of bridge that divide that you and I have talked about of, uh, between the very data poor and the very data rich, right? You know, for, for all the listeners, it's basically this idea that, you know, you've got so much data, you don't know what to do with it, or you got nothing at all. And, um, and I think what you're mentioning, Brian, absolutely. It's how can we find that middle ground of the right amount of data that you can actually take action off of? Where do you go and find yourself learning from? And where do you continue learning, essentially? I'm a LinkedIn junkie, so I, I learn a lot from LinkedIn. I actually think that's how we got connected. Um, and I've, I've developed a, a lot of relationships like this where I've learned a lot from conversations I've had on LinkedIn. Also, um, a lot of, I follow a lot of lean you know, thought leaders, consultants that post a lot of book recommendations. Um, and I've read a lot of the books uh, that they've recommended, and it's really kind of opened my eyes to things that Maybe I saw, but different ways to think about it and potentially how technology could help. That's awesome. And do you have a favorite book that you'd recommend? <laughs> uh, from a manufacturing perspective, The Goal. The Goal. All right. Goal. I'll have to check that one out myself. It is a very, it, it is a, um, it's a story about essentially continuous improvement and theory of constraints, but it is, it is told more like a novel than a dry business book. It's really probably the best business book I've ever read. I'd highly recommend it. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Brian. Um, you know, just to wrap up here, can you share with our listeners the different ways that they can connect with you, follow you on your journey? 
Yeah, the best way to connect with me is really on LinkedIn. So Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Sapot, S-A-P-O-T. I'm the only one in the whole world, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Feel free to connect with me and uh, ask me anything on there. All right, there you have it. You got Brian Sapit, the only one in the world <laughs> here on Masterminds in Maintenance. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's Masterminds in Maintenance. My name is Ryan Chan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email directly at ryan at onupkeep.com. I hope to connect with all of you guys soon. Until next time, thanks again, Brian. Thank you.